Welcome to the November Pensions Podcast from the Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. I'm Naeem Noor, a senior associate in the pensions team, and I have with me Katie Whitford, an associate in the team. Today, the topics we are going to look at include guidance from the pensions regulator on the question of whether the temporary closure of funds may have resulted in the inadvertent creation of default arrangements. We will also consider potential new governance and reporting requirements for large occupational pension schemes. In addition, we will consider the case of United Biscuits, which considered whether pension fund management services can benefit from an insurance VAT exemption. Finally, we will look at the pensions regulator's updated guidance on notification of late payments. Firstly, however, I will hand over to Katie, who will consider the pensions regulator's recent guidance on defined benefit super funds. Thanks, Naeem. Yes, in the continued absence of a statutory framework, the pensions regulator has published guidance to employers and trustees who are considering a transfer to a defined benefit super fund. There's been growing interest in super funds, which potentially provide a middle course between the pension protection fund and buying out liabilities with an insurance company. This guidance will aid and fuel that interest. Super funds provide an opportunity for employers with trustee agreement to transfer legacy defined benefit pension schemes to a third party provider. Those providers currently consist of two different models. The first, known as Clara, is a segregated fund acting as a bridge to buy out. The second is a single with profit type fund called the Pensioner Super Fund. The pensions regulator is in the process of assessing their suitability following earlier regulatory guidance. One aspect of the new guidance is that trustees should take some comfort from the fact that a super fund has gone through the assessment process. Trustees will still need to assess whether the relevant super fund is an appropriate replacement to their current arrangements and covenant, but arguably more generic questions as to suitability um, might be less of an issue. The guidance provides a lot of helpful content to trustees and employers. It's easy to read and follow. Broadly, trustees will need to ensure that any transfer to a super fund is in members' best interests. In addition, any transfer must meet three new gateway principles. First, it should only be considered if a scheme cannot afford to buy out now. Second, the transfer should only be considered if a scheme has no realistic prospect of buyout in the next five years. And third, the transfer should improve the likelihood of members receiving full benefits. The guidance further breaks down these principles and provides details of what the regulator expects trustees to consider. The scheme sponsor will need to apply for clearance from the pensions regulator. The regulator will also expect trustees, having considered all the relevant factors, to be supportive of the application or to provide reasons why they are not. In practice, if the trustees are not supportive, it's unlikely that the sponsor could proceed with an application. And the regulator indicates that any such application will take at least three months to process. Thanks, Katie. For our next topic, we will consider whether a temporary closure of funds for defined contribution schemes will create a default arrangement. As part of its guidance for trustees of DC schemes to follow during the COVID-19 crisis, the regulator has considered the situation where DC scheme trustees are redirecting scheme contributions from self-selected funds 
into alternative funds where the original arrangement has been temporarily frozen. This could lead to these alternative funds actually becoming default arrangements. This would then make them subject to the charge cap and the requirement to have a statement of investment principles that meets the requirements for a default arrangement. The regulator notes that legal advice may need to be taken to assess whether this has occurred in a DC scheme. The regulator guidance further notes that there are only two circumstances where a default arrangement would not be created. Firstly, a default fund would not be created if members were made aware before they selected the original fund that contributions could be diverted to another fund in certain situations and agree to this when choosing the original fund. Secondly, a default fund would not be created if the trustees contacted the members before diverting contributions and obtained their consent. Where contributions are to be redirected back to the original fund, consideration needs to be given to whether a pre-existing expression of choice still applies or whether a further consent from the member is needed. Where contributions are directed back to the original fund without the consent of the member, the original fund will become the default fund. Care should therefore be taken that a default arrangement is not created inadvertently. Whilst the regulator notes it will take a pragmatic approach in deciding whether to take action in certain circumstances, in the case of Chair's statements, it has no discretion in using its powers and will continue to impose fines for non-compliance. For our next topic, we'll consider potential new governance and reporting requirements for large occupational pension schemes. The DWP has published a consultation on climate change governance and reporting requirements for large pension schemes. The proposed new requirements, if they're implemented, would apply from the 1st of October 2021 to authorised master trusts, authorised collective money purchase schemes and occupational pension schemes with £5 billion or more in assets. It would then be extended to occupational pension schemes with at least £1 billion of assets by 1st of October 2022 and the proposals could be extended more widely from 2024. Schemes initially caught by the requirements would need to put in place effective governance strategies and targets to manage climate change risk. This would involve calculating the carbon footprint of the scheme and assessing how the value of the scheme's assets and liabilities would be affected by different global temperature rises. Schemes would need to publish climate change risk disclosures by the 31st of December 2022 and report the greenhouse gas emissions of their investment portfolios. The regulator would enforce the new requirements through penalties of up to £5,000 for breach by individual trustees and £50,000 for breaches by corporate trustees. The consultation closed on the 7th of October 2020 and if the proposals are implemented, they will be enacted in the Pension Schemes Bill 2019-2021. Thanks, Katie. We'll now turn to some case law. In the United Biscuits case, the Court of Justice of the European Union put an end to any suggestion that pension fund management services provided to occupational pension schemes are VAT exempt on the basis of an insurance exemption. By way of background, under EU law, insurance and reinsurance transactions are exempt from VAT. HMRC had historically applied this exemption to pension fund management services that were provided by insurance companies 
but not where the same or similar services were provided by non-insurers. From the 1st of April 2019, HMRC ceased to apply the insurance VAT exemption to the provision of pension fund management services. In the United Biscuits case, the trustees and former trustees of the United Biscuits Pension Fund sought to reclaim the VAT they had paid to non-insurers who had provided them with pension fund management services. They argued that either the pension fund management services provided by non-insurers constituted insurance transactions and therefore fell within the VAT exemption under EU law or the principle of fiscal neutrality meant that if the insurance exemption was available to insurers providing those services, it should also be available to non-insurers when providing the same services. The Court of Appeal referred the question of whether investment fund management services provided to a pension scheme could be regarded as an insurance transaction to the European Court. The European Court concluded that the insurance exemption from VAT should be interpreted strictly. One of the essentials of an insurance transaction was that the insurer must provide some indemnity from risk. In light of that, supplies of pension fund management services could not be regarded as insurance and not therefore entitled to benefit from the insurance VAT exemption. This decision validates HMRC's approach that no provision of pension fund management services will now benefit from the insurance VAT exemption. It also suggests that those who benefited from the insurance exemption before the change in approach benefited from a windfall. The result is that the VAT treatment of pension fund management services is likely to be different depending on whether the scheme to which the services are being provided is defined benefit or defined contribution in nature. European case law has established that DC pension schemes which meet the requisite conditions of special investment funds or SIFs. There is a VAT exemption for the management of SIFs. Pension fund management services provided to a DC scheme that meet the conditions for a SIF will therefore be exempt from VAT. In contrast, the European Court has ruled that DB schemes fall outside this exemption. DC schemes are therefore likely to be able to rely on this additional VAT exemption, whereas DB schemes are not. Our final topic is the pension regulator's return to the 90-day rule in relation to failure to report late payments. In April 2020, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, the regulator relaxed the requirement that pension scheme providers of DC schemes report late payments once they are 90 days late, by extending the time period to 150 days. The regulator has now announced an intention to return to the previous 90-day rule. From the 1st of January 2021, pension scheme providers are expected to report late payment of contributions once they are 90 days late, although the regulator acknowledges that some schemes may need extra time to make necessary adjustments. As a result, the 90-day reporting requirement will become mandatory for all employers on the 1st of April 2021. Thanks, Katie. That's all for this month's podcast. Further detail on all of the topics discussed can be found in the November snapshot 
In our briefing on the United Biscuits case and from your usual Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law team contact. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the podcast informative. And don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes or Stitcher or on the Stevenson Harwood website.